You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Well, I want us to go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23, 4 through 8. Last week, if you weren't here... To kick off the new year, we started a mini-series on feasts. We're going to feast on the feasts of the Lord for the next few days. And in Leviticus 23, God prescribes seven feasts. Last week, we looked at the Sabbath day, a sort of uh, weekly anchor for the other feast, a time of rest. And uh, this week, we're going to look at the Passover feast and briefly at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we'll... um, try to cover. We can't cover all of it, but feast isn't the only word that's repeated over and over in this chapter. For starters, God closed out the previous chapter of Leviticus 22 with the phrase, I am the Lord. You'll see that over and over in the text. I am the Lord. He'll do that when he, uh, these feasts are broken up into spring and fall festivals, uh, the, basically the planting and the reaping of harvest. But Uh, At the close of the spring festival, in Leviticus 23, verse 22, he says it again, I am the Lord. In Leviticus 23, 43, again, I am the Lord. In those two places, he adds, I am the Lord, your God. God's always making it personal with us. It's personal. But the words we see most frequently in the chapter are the words holy convocations. These are local gatherings or assemblies. Today is a holy convocation, not identical in structure, but similar in intent. So holy convocations or holy intentional gatherings are all throughout this chapter and the life of any believer. And attached to these uh, are at least seven references to do not do any ordinary work. So all these phrases occur over and over again. But they all fall under the umbrella of the phrase, the Lord's appointed times. Because the word feast means time, appointed time, appointed place, appointed meeting. So to speak of a feast in the way that God meant it in Leviticus is to speak of our spiritual calendars. If we're going to feast on the Lord this year, we must appoint a time to feast, a priority in our lives. So appointed time is really what our mini-series is about, recognizing the specific emphasis God put on scheduled, holy, intentional moments, times God commanded his people to put on their spiritual calendars. Psalm 39 verse 4 says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am, not in a depressed sense, but in a hopeful sense. And God wants us to measure our days so that we'll spend the ones we have more wisely. J.C. Penney, you know, the J.C. Penney stores. His full name, by the way, was uh, James Cash Penney. Believe it or not, that was his real name. And a matter of fact, those stores used to be called, anybody know what they used to be called? They were called the Golden Rule Stores. J.C. Penney stores used to be called Golden Rule Stores. And he survived the Depression. He'd lost everything and came back. He's got an incredible story, J.C. Penney does. But anyway, he said, if a man's business requires so much of his time that he cannot attend the services of his church, then that man has more business than God intended him to have. Right? And so since our time is limited, and I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here, (laughs) uh, 
how we spend it is important. So, to get our calisthenics, start the year off right, let's stand back up in honor of God's Word and read these few verses together. Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 8. These are the words of God. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, of the, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Well, we had a, a, Navy, a Navy rascal share this morning in our men's prayer breakfast. Tommy, Thomas there. And so we got a Navy chief coming to, sh to lead us in prayer, Ben Tate. Ben, would you ask God's blessings over our message today? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you've given us, Lord. Please bless over Went as he delivers this message today. Let us open up our hearts, our minds, and really see what he is saying from the Bibles. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So we read last week in Colossians 2, verse 16, that the Sabbath is a shadow of the things to come, right? But the substance of all these feasts and festivals, spoiler alert, the substance of them is Christ. Well, another one of those shadows is the Passover. And my desire today is not to talk you through an entire uh, Passover Seder. I'm going to leave that to Sue Ann Murray. If y'all don't know Sue Ann, she teaches one of our women's classes and uh, she leads Seders every year, I believe. And uh, matter of fact, if you ever want to have one of those for a work group or something like that, you can see Sue Ann. And she did that for our women, I believe, last year. Uh, incredible, because all the elements of the Passover meal have have uh, purposes behind them and reasons to remind us the bitter herbs and things to remind us of slavery in Egypt and different things. It's really an incredible thing, but that's not my intent today, right? Nor is it my goal to walk through all the details and unpack Deuteronomy or Exodus 12, which tells more of the actual elements of the Passover, right? You can unpack that on your own or we may preach on it another time, but my purposes today are simple. In Leviticus 18 through 22, leading up to Leviticus 23, there was the idea being taught of holiness regarding Christian conduct, regarding our conduct as followers of Christ, right? And so it was our behavior. It was focused on behavior. But in Leviticus 23, God turns that focus, really through chapter 25, to holy conduct, Right, he shifts the focus, I mean, from holy conduct to holy times. That's what I meant to say. Holy times. And that's really what we're talking about. Not just holy conduct, but holy times. And so today we're looking at the Passover from the angle of the holiness of appointed times. And you don't just need to get out your Bibles today. You need to get out your calendars. This is what I'm talking about. Scheduling your life around God's appointed times. And the first thing I want us to notice, especially as we enter into the new year, which I pray we're expecting great things of. I hope you didn't start this year off thinking uh, another year. We need to have our mindset on December 31st so that when we complete this year, 
We can look back on our lives, sinful as we are, and say, hey, I'm, I'm still a sinner, but I'm not who I was January 1st. I've been sanctified this year. God has worked on things in my life, and I say hallelujah. We need to approach this year that, that just like that, ready. You know, like those, those linemen who jump off sides because they're so ready to plow that quarterback. That's how we ought to enter into this year, ready, charged. And to, and to make this year great, we need a, a calendar change. A Hebrew calendar, without going into all the micro elements of it, it's basically two months ahead of our calendar. Normally, or three, normally uh, our, our normal March to April is the first month of a Hebrew calendar. And April to May the 2nd, June, May to June 3rd, so on. February to March is the 12th month on the Hebrew calendar. But the timing of the calendar changed. That was a changed calendar. It was different pre-exile, right? And it changed because of literally the Passover, right? Now the exodus of God's people from Egypt happened uh, roughly around 1446 B.C., give or take 100 years. So from that point onward, their calendar was changed, meaning the enslavement of the people of God, along with the nine plagues against Pharaoh and Egypt, and which ushered in the 10th plague of the, the death angel that would pass over, would, well, he would kill all the firstborn unless the blood was on the doorpost, allowing God's judgment to literally pass over their sins. Those events were so important to God and the identity of his children that the, the month of their exodus became the first month of the Hebrew calendar. So the Passover literally changed the calendar of God's people. Today we're going to see three things that God is teaching his children by changing their calendar thousands of years ago. First, he's teaching us to tread carefully in the judgment and discipline of the Lord. And there are three foundations uh, to comprehending fully the judgment and disciplines of God. And I want you to know these. These are worldview-altering truths of Scripture. Number one... God is for us. Now, we all know verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, I have planned, I know the plans I have for you, plans to, uh, for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But there are dozens of other verses in Scripture that explain that God is for us. Psalm 56, verse 9, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Romans 8, 28 and verse 31. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? It's a rhetorical question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, listen. Never for one moment should we allow the enemy, the devil, to whisper in our ears that God is not for us? He is against our sin, but I assure you, I don't know how you walked in here today, sinful, wretched, adulterous, I don't care. God is for you. And that's the truth of God's word. You need to start your year off knowing that. Well, the second foundation is that God is just. Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. 
and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Isaiah 61 verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. The rock, his word is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Psalm 33 verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm 89 verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Job 34 verse 12, of a truth God will not do wickedly and the Almighty will not pervert justice. There is nothing God does that isn't just. If you're punished for your sin, you deserve it. God is just. We all deserve hell, which also means that even his forgiveness of our sins is just. He's not sweeping us under a rug to get us into heaven. He's not smuggling us in in the trunk of his car. The first John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's right for me and for you to be forgiven if we call on the name of the Lord. It's right because Jesus made it right on the cross. He's just. God is for us. He's just. And third, God disciplines his children. Hebrews 10, verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. We're always ready for him to judge somebody else, but he's going to judge us too. 1 Peter 1 verse 17, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. If he's your father, you're not getting off scot-free. You need to conduct yourself with fear as well. Job 5, 17, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Proverbs 3, verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Revelation 3, 19, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Discipline is from God. But let me ask you a question. Was Israel's 400 plus years in Egypt discipline? You know, only technically 80 of that were disciplined. The rest of it was rescue. Genesis 15, 12 says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Abram, Abraham, same thing. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring, generations on down the line, will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So some scholars would say, some preachers would say, ah, see, God takes great delight in the judgment of people as if God's some kind of cynical deity which I think misrepresents God a lot of time because it's not the whole truth. Because over in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 8, it clearly says, but they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on. 
nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. They were dwelling in Egypt. He says, then, then I said I will pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. And that's exactly what happened. You can read at the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, the books, Canaan had a famine. Uh, so Jacob, you remember, took his family down there to get some help and to see his estranged son he didn't know was alive for most of his life, Joseph. So he goes down to see Joseph. Remember, God had given Joseph wisdom that impressed the, the Pharaoh. He interpreted dreams and all these things so that he was put in second in control of under Pharaoh. And so the, all the people came, all of Israel came to Egypt. And they dwelt there for over 430 years. And they, they grew. They started multiplying. <laughs> they had, there were estimated two to three million of them. All right? And so the new Pharaoh, not the Pharaoh that knew Joseph, but the new Pharaoh got wind. Of, he started looking at all these people thinking, oh, my goodness. These people are going to team up with the enemy and take us down. Uh, so he enslaved them. Like sheep, they were all herded into the area called Goshen, which is in Hebrew means approaching or drawing near, which is gloriously encouraging, right? Because the Holy Spirit of God, this is my point, was guiding his children closer to him during their time of exile in Goshen. Goshen means approaching. Church, always know that if we sin and have some earthly consequence for that sin, it's the love of God that drives that discipline. We don't spat a child's hand who's about to touch a hot stove because we hate the child, right? Lord, I pray that's not our motive. We do it out of love. Well, Romans 13 verse four kind of sums up all three of these things. For he is God's servant for your good. But if we do wrong, be afraid. <laughs> for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Church, if we can understand these three foundational truths, that God is for us, that God is just, and that God disciplines those he loves, then our hearts and our minds are going to sort through this year. <laughs> We're going to sort through judgment and discipline and a wicked world more clearly, more soberly, more righteously, and we're going to have a more biblical worldview. The calendar of God's people changed because God's people sinned. So we need to tread carefully in the judgment and discipline of the Lord if we're going to see change in our lives this year. Another reason the calendar changed is for God to help us as his children to take note of the tragedies of a fallen world. The calendar of God's people changed not just because of our sin, but because of God's enemies sin. I want you to see a chart up here. I've shown this chart before, uh, maybe a couple years ago. I want to show it again. Of the 13 times in Exodus that, that God references the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, five were Pharaoh hardening, hardening his own heart. Four were references just saying his heart was hardened. And then four were directly by God. Now what I want you to notice here is that God doesn't enter the process until Pharaoh was already well on his way. It doesn't mean God was unaware of the process. But look at where he comes into play in this when you lay it out. Now, with that picture up there, I want to compare that to Romans 1, verse 16. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. Verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? It means as we act in faith, God strengthens our faith. When we step out on faith, when Margaret and Ashton stepped out on faith, even though it's nervous to get up in front of people and be baptized, when they stepped out on faith, they're stepping into faith. Does that make sense? You get more faith. It's like a workout room. <laughs> you know, you come out, you may be sore, but you're stronger for it. And that's what that means. But then the next verse, verse 18 says, there's something else revealed. Not just the righteousness of God, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We don't want to obey. We suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, so they're without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. A refusal of light is a spiritually degenerative process. You don't believe me? Step out of church for three Sundays. Step out of a quiet time for two days. And it's a degenerative process. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their own heart. As someone said, our problem isn't just that the, the presence of sin, it's the absence of God. And if God takes his hand off of us, friend, we're, we're doomed. God doesn't have to do anything but remove his grace and mercy. He doesn't have to give anything. God changed the Hebrew calendar to help us tread carefully in the judgment and discipline of the Lord to take note of the tragedies of a fallen world. And friend, if we do this, the fingers we often point at God will be grasped together praying to him and asking him for help. Number three, take refuge in the rescue of our mighty God. In Leviticus 23, we see a series of appointed feasts. And I hate to call them, a lot of commentators call them religious festivals. I hate that. Because when the Holy Spirit's present, it's not religious, it's relational. But the series of feasts that form the foundation of the Jewish calendar began in the first month with the Passover. Exodus 12, Deuteronomy 16, all expand on this. And on the 10th of the month, a lamb was selected for each family or group it was tied up, it was pinned up until the 14th when it would be slaughtered. But before the 14th, they would get all the leaven out of the houses in preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And for you that don't know what leaven is, all I know is it's stuff you put in bread to make it rise. Now, leaven in Scripture, un, I mean unleavened bread, in Scripture references at least four things. All right, and I want to share those with you as we wrap up and head into the Lord's Supper in a moment. First, it reminds us of gospel urgency. The death angel was real. Hell is real and eternal. We don't know the hour, just like Tom shared in his testimony this morning with the men. We don't know the hour God's going to take us home. We don't know if he's going to allow sin or sickness or, or some tragic accident to take us out of this world in a moment. But the people of Israel on the original night of the Passover knew the death angel was coming. So they needed to eat in haste. We're about to be out of here. They didn't have time to let the bread sit and rise. So unleavened bread always for me reminds me of the urgency to get the gospel truth out to the world because he's coming and he's bringing wrath 
Wrath for those who don't know him and hope and joy for those who do. Second, it reminds us, unleavened bread reminds us of a people on the move. As one commentator noted, unleavened bread would serve people on the move better than leavened bread. And we need to be a people on the move, a people with the promised land in view. And though we may call certain places the promised land, you know, Tennessee, I would call them the promised land for me. Some it may be Arkansas, some it may be Mississippi, and for two or three it might be Louisiana. Just kidding, just picking on Todd back there. All right, but no place on this earth will compare to what God has in store for us in heaven. Amen? <laughs> You've, I've seen some beautiful things in my life, but nothing's going to compare to what awaits for me. It'll be mind-blowing. It'll be humbling. Well, third, it reminds us of a need for regular spiritual cleansing. Leaven came to symbolize evil. So eating it was a picture of repentance that depicted a breaking with sin. We break the bread. Remember, Christ was broken for us, but his bones weren't broken. His prophecy was fulfilled, right? So it's a breaking of evil. As one pastor said, they were to look back on their deliverance as a time of national repentance. God help our nation. We need to spend less time talking about it and more time praying for it. Paul captured this idea best in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Listen to this. Your boasting isn't good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate. We're so somber sometimes during Lord's Supper, but it's really a time of celebration. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Wouldn't that be a good title for our church members? Look at your, look at your neighbor and say, you look like a good new lump. That's what the Bible calls it, new lumps. Y'all are looking at your bellies going, I've got some new lumps from my Christmas splurging, all right? Well, fourth... Fourth, the unleavened bread reminds us of the body of Christ. On the afternoon of the 14th, at, at, or twilight, twilight literally means, by the way, between the evenings, uh, which is most likely between noon and sunset, right? That's what Jewish orthodoxy teaches. And practically, it would have been almost impossible to kill the Passover lamb inside of a dark candlelit temple, right? So in New Testament times, the Passover sacrifice started at 3 p.m. So in the New Testament, that's after the temple was established, between the evenings, 3 p.m.-ish, the Passover lambs were killed. They were slain, they were slaughtered, taken to the temple as an offering. And all the male Jews over 12 years of age had to go. They, they were required to attend. Of course, uh, women and, and children could attend voluntarily, but the others were required. Thousands and upon thousands of pilgrims gathered at Jerusalem every year for the Passover and the seventh-day feast of unleavened bread that, that followed it. So the word Passover really came to mean that whole time period, all right? But the lamb was the focus, slain for the forgiveness of sin. 
And as we just read in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And this was the great proclamation of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're about to celebrate uh, the perfect spotless lamb by partaking of the Lord's Supper. And it's here that I want to circle back to Goshen. All right? You just do a search for that. If you've downloaded the ESV Bible on your phone, which you can for free, you can get the Study Bible app as well. That's about 30 bucks, I think. But if you look that up, search Goshen, G-O-S-H-E-N, you're going to read all the places Goshen pops up. It's a very significant place. And it's the place where Israel lived and where the death angel passed over and the beginning of Passover happened. And so its meaning is all the more important. Goshen meant drawing near, approaching. And it's no coincidence, as one Hebrew scholar said, that the essence of the Passover story occurred here, which was the fer- between the fertile, the fertile land east of the delta and west of the border of Canaan. So it was wedged in between the enemies of God and the promised land. Friend, do you ever feel wedged in between the enemies of God and the promised land? Well, that place is Goshen. And God is drawing near. He's approaching. God approaching. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Right? Now I want you to remember that verse 22. Hebrews 10.22, because before we can draw near to God, God had to draw near to the cross. Hebrews 10.19-21, leading up to that verse, says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, confidence to enter the holy places, the place where if you went in, you could be struck down and killed, the place they used to tie a rope around the Hebrew priest when he would go in, so that if he had a heart attack in there and died, they'd drag him out because they weren't going in. That place we can go into with confidence, yes, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. There was a curtain there, remember? That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, since all of that, let us draw near. Because of the blood of Christ, we draw near. As one scholar said, as the First Passover marked the Hebrews' release from Egyptian slavery, so the death of Christ marks our release from the slavery of sin. Romans 8, verse 2. Hey, friend, it's time to change our calendars, right? To tread carefully in the judgment and discipline of the Lord, to take note of the tragedies of a fallen world, and to take refuge in the rescue of our mighty God. Because we're living in Goshen. Let me tell you something God isn't approaching, God's not drawing near. He's arrived and he's here. Amen. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, all those who call on the name of Jesus. And we have the power of God living inside of us, waiting for the day when he returns. Would you stand? 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Just if you're a believer, take a moment to confess your sins to God. First, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. There's, there's several tables, five, I believe, throughout the sanctuary. And in there, if you're a guest with us today, there's two cups stacked on top of each other. The bottom cup is the bread. The top cup is the wine. Make sure you take both of those in the stack and then return to your seats. After I pray in a moment, you're not going to need any more prompting from me to take the element. You can go back to your seats, explain to your kids uh, if you need to, the ones that may have not trusted Christ yet. We just had a, a, a young boy come to, to my office today that was prompted to talk about his salvation because he couldn't take the Lord's Supper. And so it's good to teach our children and, and any lost person why they shouldn't take the elements because uh, that you need to be born again. But if you're born again, you, when, you, when you go and take those cups, return to your seats, you can pray there, you can take it individually or as a family, and then I'll close this in prayer. And right after that, we'll remain standing for our time of invitation. And that time is a time where if you need to come forward for prayer or you need to come forward to profess Christ publicly or maybe you've known the Lord for a long time and you need to be baptized or maybe you just want to come forward and be a member of our church. You want to sign up to serve. That's what membership represents here. We're not dictating to you what you do, but we're saying as a member, you're, you're saying to us, I want to serve in some way at this church. And that'll be a time to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would bless this time of the Lord's Supper. I can't think of a better message leading into the Lord's Supper than a message about the Passover. Lord, uh, it wasn't a lamb that was slain, uh, an earthly lamb. It was a heavenly lamb that came down to earth that was slain for us, who chose to do it. Not a lamb that was taken from the field involuntarily and led to the slaughter. You led yourself to the slaughter for us. And I thank you that we can rest and come confidently to your throne now, Lord, in repentance of sin and confidence in Jesus. And I pray as we take the Lord's Supper now, you'd be honored. You're remembered. We remember you. We appoint this time for you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.